West Limerick 102. The following is the County Views podcast as broadcast on West Limerick 102 FM on the 29th of January 2020 from 9.30 to 11pm. Joining Pat O'Donovan and Tom Ryan for the discussion this week, Liam O'Mahony and Jim McNamara. As this is the County Views podcast, the phone lines and text lines are now closed. Please do not phone or text, otherwise you'll be charged. County Views is sponsored by Tynan O'Donovan Solicitors, Limerick and Newcastle West. Welcome to County Views on this cold Wednesday night indeed. And you are all very welcome. And so far I'm joined by Limo Mahney and our good friend Tom Ryan. And we don't have our usual stand-up. Hopefully you're hearing us loud and clear around the airwaves of the West. And of course, Tom, how was traffic in the day? Or is nothing to be seen tonight, I suppose? Not too bad tonight, no. Yeah, yeah. No, well, the traffic wouldn't be very heavy this hour tonight, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So it's uh, it's uh, hold up from until next June anyway. And it's yet to be fairly chaotic for the rest of the year now. Mornings and evenings, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though due to BAI rules and regulations, we are not allowed to be mentioning uh, items outside our franchise area in relation to traffic reports. So um, we have appealed uh, that decision to them that we would be allowed to tell the people from the west which uh, literally all of them go via Adair to the city of Limerick but we do know that there are signs up here in Newcastle West telling you to go detours off tours Ballingarry, Granite to get to Limerick. Anyway tonight of course is the big night for the people of England, the Brexit withdrawal agreement and that was passed tonight here by 6.21 to 49 and Britain's departure from the European Union has been set in law as the bloc's parliament voted to ratify the divorce papers. After half a century of sometimes awkward membership and three years of tense withdrawal talks, the UK will leave the EU at 11pm Irish time on Friday. MEPs voted by 621 votes to 49 to pass the withdrawal agreement, which says Britain leave the EU institutions but remain under most EU rules during the transition until the end of the year. Following the vote... This thing isn't moving up from me. What am I out of block here? No. Now we are moving. After half a century, sometimes awkward membership and three years of tense withdrawal talks, the UK will leave at 11 pm t- on this Friday. MEPs vote 621 to 49 passed the withdrawal agreement, which says Britain leave the EU institutions but remain under the most EU rules during the transition until the end of the year. Following the vote, MPs burst into a chorus of Auld Lang Syne, a traditional Scottish song of farewell. And the transition will see British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's government try to negotiate an ambitious, unprecedented in the time frame free trade agreement with his 27 former partners remaining in the bloc. Only in the agony of parting do we look into the depth of love. EU Commissioner President Ursula von der Leyen told the chamber, quoting British author George Eliot, we will always love you and we will never be far long live Europe. In other words, as French Foreign Minister Jean Ledrain said, the hardest part lies ahead. We are going to get down to brass tacks now. In the Brussels Parliament, many MEPs made it clear that they were voting for the withdrawal deal, not out of any support for Brexit, but to avoid the disruption of a chaotic no-deal divorce. Some expressed real anguish and regret and pointed to Britain's role 
not only in the development of a European unification project, but also to its historic battles against tyranny on the continent. If we could stop Brexit by voting no today, I would be the first to recommend it, former Belgian Premier and Chairman of the Parliament. Brexit steering group said, it is indeed a sad issue, he said, turning to the world wars of the first half of the last century. We are sad to see a country leaving that twice liberated us, twice has given its blood to liberate Europe. The day began with Britain's permanent representative to the EU, Tim Barrow, from Saturday to its ambassador, handling back, handing back the withdrawal agreement signed by Mr. Johnson to be stored in Brussels. This step ensures that the UK has fulfilled its legal obligations regarding our exit from the EU, the British mission said. But it was still an emotional day in the European Parliament in Brussels, steeped in the mixture of nostalgia, political carnival, and historical metaphor. Nigel Farage, veteran MEP and leader Britain's Brexit party was in triumphant mood after two decades as a torn in the side in Brussels. After his final speech in Parliament in which he described Brexit as a victory for populism over globalism, Mr. Farage and his MEPs brandished British flags in contravention of the rules then left. We're going to wave you goodbye, he declared, as Deputy Speaker Maureen McGuinness cut off his microphone. If you disobey the rules, you get cut off, she retorted. At an earlier news conference, Mr. Farage said he had loved playing the pantomime villain in the Strasbourg Assembly, feeding opposition to Europe at home with the theatrical YouTube clips, but he insisted on the seriousness of Brexit, comparing its significance to King Henry VIII taking Britain out of the Catholic Church in 1534. He took us out of the Church of Rome, and we are leaving the Treaty of Rome, he said, referring to EU's founding. Now, we have a few little pieces picked off that you will all love, I'm quite sure, <laughs> and it is... Snippets from Britain's involvement in the EU over the last 30, 40 years, or was it 50 years indeed at this stage. First you will hear Margaret Thatcher, and then the famous piece of Yes Minister series, which we played here before, and then Nigel Farage, a snippet from him there some time back. May I make a few comments first? One of the difficulties here has been to get clear the nature of the problem. We are not asking for a penny piece of community money for Britain. What we are asking is for a very large amount of our own money back, over and above what we contribute to the community, which is covered by our receipts from the community. Broadly speaking, for every two pounds we contribute, we get one pound back. That leaves us with a net contribution of £1,000 million next year to the community and rising in the future. It's that £1,000 million on which we started to negotiate because we want the greater part back. But it's not asking the community for money. It is asking the community to have our own money back. And I've frequently said to them, look, we, as one of the poorer members of the community, cannot go on filling the coffers of the community. We're giving you notice that we just can't afford it. So that's the nature of the problem. I must say the other very big net contributors are Germany, and many of the others are either broad balance or very substantial beneficiaries. It's we and Germany who are big net contributors, and next year we would be the biggest of the lot although one of the three poorest members. The next piece then was, yes, Minister. Yes, Minister. Right, 
this directive comes from Brussels, saying that all EEC members must conform to some niggling European word processing standards. That we have to agree to the plans of masses of European word processing committees at the forthcoming European word processing conference in Brussels. Well, say something. <laughs> yes, Minister. Quite so. <laughs> Is that all you want to say? Well, Minister, I'm afraid that is the penalty we have to pay for trying to pretend that we're Europeans. Believe me, I fully understand your hostility to Europe. I'm not like you, Humphrey. I'm pro-Europe. I'm just anti-Brussels. <laughs> I sometimes think you're anti-Europe and pro-Brussels. Oh, Minister, I'm neither pro nor anti-anything. I'm merely a humble vessel into which ministers pour the fruits of their deliberations. But it could well be argued that, given the absurdity of the whole European idea, that Brussels is, in fact, doing its best to defend the indefensible and to make the unworkable work. That is simply not true, Humphrey. Huh? I don't want to sound pompous, but the European idea is our best hope of avoiding narrow national self-interest. That doesn't sound pompous, Minister. Good. Merely inaccurate. <laughs> Listen, humble vessel. Europe is a community of nations dedicated towards one goal. Oh! <laughs> Oh, maybe share the joke, Humphrey. Oh, Minister. <laughs> Let's look at this objectively. It is a game played for national interests and always was. Why do you suppose we went into it? To strengthen the brotherhood of free Western nations. Oh, really? We went in to screw the French by splitting them off from the Germans. <laughs> well, why did the French go into it, then? Well, to protect their inefficient farmers from commercial competition. It certainly doesn't apply to the Germans. No, no. They went in to cleanse themselves of genocide and apply for readmission to the human race. <laughs> Such appalling cynicism. Oh, well, at least the small nations didn't go into it for selfish reasons. Really? Luxembourg's in it for the perks. The capital of the EEC, all that foreign money pouring in. Hmm? Very sensible central location. With the administration in Brussels and the parliament in Strasbourg. <laughs> Minister, it's like having the, the House of Commons in Swindon and the civil service in Kettering. <laughs> if this were true, why would the other nations have been trying to get in? Such as? Well, take the Greeks. Actually, I find it difficult to take the Greeks. <laughs> Open-minded as I am about foreigners, as you both well know. <laughs> but what will they want out of it? An olive mountain and a retsina lake. I just don't accept any of this. Oh, I'm so sorry, Minister. I suppose some of your best friends are Greeks. Uh, <laughs> no, very dry. <laughs> the trouble with Brussels is not internationalism, it's too much bureaucracy. But the bureaucracy is a consequence of the internationalism. Why else would there be an English commissioner with a French director general immediately below him and an Italian chef de division reporting to the Frenchman and so on down the line? Oh, I agree. It's like the Tower of Babel. I agree. No, it's even worse. It's like the United Nations. I agree. Uh, then perhaps, like... perhaps, if I may interject, you are in fact in agreement. No, no we're, we're not. not. <laughs> Brussels is a shambles. You know what they say about the average common market official? Mm. He has the organising ability of the Italians, the flexibility of the Germans and the modesty of the French. <laughs> And that's topped up by the imagination of the Belgians, the generosity of the Dutch, and the intelligence of the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a great big gravy train. What do you they mean? They live on champagne and caviar, <laughs> chauffeur-driven Mercedes, private aeroplanes. Every one of those officials has got his snout in the trough. Most of them have got their two front trotters in as well. Oh, Minister, <laughs> I beg to differ. Brussels is full of... Busy, hard-working public servants who have to endure a lot of exhausting travel and tedious entertainment. Oh, terribly tedious. Working their way through all that smoked salmon, forcing back all that champagne. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any case, Minister, I think you're blaming the wrong people. The European Council stitch-up 
has rendered this place impotent until today when you've got some real power if you choose to use it. What you've seen from Ursula von der Leyen today is an attempt for the European Union to take control of every single aspect of our lives. She wants to build a centralised, undemocratic, updated form of communism that will render nation-state parliaments where the state controls everything, where nation-state parliaments where nation-state parliaments will cease to have any relevance at all. I have to say from our perspective, in some ways, I'm really rather pleased because you've just made Brexit a lot more popular in the United Kingdom. Thank God we're leaving. But it is in the aspect of defence that I think people's minds should be focused. She's a fanatic for building a European army, but she's not alone. When it's completed, NATO will cease to exist or have any relevance in Europe at all. And of course, not to be left out of this, French President Emmanuel Macron, on Bastille Day last Sunday, stood at the front of an open-top car with his nascent European Defence Force behind him, looking for all the world like an updated version of Napoleon. <laughs> be in no doubt, be in no doubt, five years of these people, the European Defence Union will be complete. And what is there for defence can also be used for attack. And you as a House will have no control over it. Vote against this nominee. Strike a blow for democracy. Strike a blow for your citizens. Now, folks, there were just one of many, many, many snippets indeed from the EU and England's contribution over the years. We did never seem to get too many exciting pieces from our Irish representatives ever. I don't ever recall any of them being, being searched for or being highlighted indeed. And there were many, many Tony Bain and various comments indeed. Uh, England seemed to be unhappy bed partners there for many, many years indeed. How do you think now, James McNamara, you're very welcome, because you, you missed the introduction part of the evening, uh, and th th this new situation which will be coming into place, obviously, next January when they're fully, England are fully gone. Mm -hmm. What will be the, any idea? We have all kinds of suggestions and experts for the past three years telling us all about what would happen and wouldn't happen, that England would never leave and so forth. They've, they've done that part of it now. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, I, I just saw headlines tonight as well of the dramatic moments of uh, people waving their own flag and walking out as if it was a great moment of triumph. And <coughs> in a way, uh, it's a step backwards, I think, for, for I can understand why it happened in the UK. But uh, for us who kind of see a grain of positivity in the European ideal, 
And there were a lot of people in Ireland who do and who still do, uh, even though we would be Eurosceptics, we would still see possibilities and real benefits, of course. But I think uh, if you're to seize anything out of this moment, it might force rethinking in the UK itself because there was a huge campaign over the last year or two and we'll be in great position when we leave and I think the chickens will come home to roost perhaps in the next six months or so leading up towards the end of the year that there might be a reappraisal no doubt uh, Johnson uh, played politics to the last on this and uh, he, he will shift in order to retain his own political position. But in the bigger picture, I can't be too... I'm, I'm not too happy about today because I think it's a time for one state claiming it can go wonders on its own and it really can't. It's global issues that hit us all now. It's the bigger picture about, about the climate and about the state of the world and about fair trade and about fair income. The widening gap in society won't be narrowed anything by Britain pulling out of the EU. Tom. Well, James, I think you covered it there eloquently. Uh, well, I, I'd be, uh, I, I'm European, supportive of European uh, Union, <coughs> always. I, I believe we have gained a lot from it, okay, that a lot of people will argue they're to the contrary, that they're, they have too much control over, their, over, over our laws, over our budgets, over our overall, over our economy. But I think that with, uh, with our recent history across every aspect of, of, of activity in this country, we needed someone to have an overall overall control. I don't mean control, I mean support as well. <coughs> We've got great friends in the European Union. The British, like, were conned into into leaving. The first referendum that they that they had, I think it was one of the first referendums that was ever held in England, I believe. <coughs> excuse me, was false. They were actually it was it was based, in my opinion, when I followed it at the time, it was very basic on immigration and fear, and. Then they got stuck in the conundrum of, you know, that if everybody actually expected, you know, that this would be defeated, and was, and the no vote came in to everyone's surprise. Narrowly enough, it wasn't a landslide by any means, and the shockwaves like went through the system. We saw the the antics within the House of Commons for the last two years, and particularly in the last twelve months. We saw Johnson, who was a, a European supporter of the European Union, and you know didn't, didn't change his mind to, as you said, James took over the flow. And now today, again, I think disgraced themselves and Farage, like anyone, anyone like I mean listening to him today, like, I mean, would look back to earlier and the 1930s in Europe, which is a tragedy and which is a shocking situation for the British people who are a decent people, like, you know, who are who I think have very been very badly led into all this. And it's a wise man now that will, you know, that will, that will tell you what is going to happen. It's going to be tough here for us too. And the next 12 months will be you know, it would be chaotic, I think. And after that, who knows? It's a pity. I regret it. And that, but we have to get over it. We have to move on. Nemo Mahoney. I suppose, Pat, that, um, you know, it built up over the years. 
people talking about straightening bananas and doing away with the point and you'd have to have litres and so on. It was all little things. Plus, I suppose, watching then the European Parliament moving from Strasbourg to Brussels every month and all this massive bureaucracy. And I mean, that was being probably... Uh, portrayed in by the tabloids and so on in England and what you had then was the, the build up to it that you know that they had lost all their independence and uh, you know as Tom said like the immigration thing was probably uh, a factor as well but I suppose most of the people that probably voted to leave were probably in the older generation I would think and uh, some of them would be Irish people that have lived in England for uh, many, many years, and I would know some of them. And uh, again, I know one individual who's like in his 90s, and he voted to leave. And then the pressure that was on them to stay, I think the public kind of felt in they were being bullied, that you can't leave. So, I mean, we, are, we have to accept that they have operated, was said, democratically. That was their choice to leave. Now, how it'll all work out when they're trying to come up with new trade deals and all, I suppose we still have to wait. But usually, I suppose, business kind of sorts out business in its own way, you know. So I wouldn't say there's a doomsday about it. And, uh, like, I mean, if a country couldn't leave the United uh, or the, the European Union, uh, it would be a bad state of affairs. So, I mean, you know, it's a voluntary... Um, We'd say cooperative, basically. And I say maybe, you know, all those things that came in the beginning, like we say, like as I just mentioned, like this, you know, the rumours that they were going to look for straight bananas and the the over kind of, um, we say, watching, we'd say, whether people were making homemade bread and whether it was, you know, fit to eat eggs, and so on like chickens, that. The eggs, the chickens, them. all that oh, kind of micro juice, anything, yeah. that yeah. kind of micromanagement I yeah. think yeah. went against the grain with some people. And I suppose we feel that. Now again on the other side we say the environment and uh, we say the, the improvement in infrastructure and so on in the countries and especially like in Ireland, that's all positive. But then again on a negative, like I mean we I suppose uh, the farmers were the ones that gained Probably most in the beginning. Mm. Some, uh, farmers. some farmers, large farmers, maybe to an extent, and uh, they they gained, and yet we lost all our fishing rights and so on like that. You see, so like whether it was a great deal or not, I suppose only history will tell. Thanks, Liam. Uh, you said we lost our fishing rights, whereas uh, other people might say we didn't lose them at all. We just gave them away. And in this case, in England, they've taken back their fishing rights within their 12-mile radius of their own borders. And uh, Jim McNamara, uh, we had quite a few referendums here, referendas here. We had the Lisbon Treaty, we had a Lisbon Treaty, and we had other ones which many people didn't ever read. Only were led by the parties of the day and about the European army and all these kind of things inside in it. And Ireland voted uh, no, I, I think, on two occasions. And there was a little bit of twiddly and twiddly dumb, slight changes, and they were given back to do it again. And when England voted to leave, we had a lot of people here in Ireland and politicians across Europe trying to make them do it again. But in uh, fairness to them, they stuck by the decision of the people. That didn't happen here. No, they, I think the story here was that uh, 
the referenda were for the Irish were slow learners so they needed a second and a third go at it which kind of didn't go down too well with uh, some people but um, I suppose you could argue you think it's a good idea if the answer isn't so simple it should be uh, well there's an argument about about, uh, consulting people how often should you consult the public if you take it that most people uh, do you know there's nothing wrong with going back now how often and how frequently should you do it is the question I think the numbers who voted in the referendum in the UK uh, and the margin to leave was pretty tight so there was a legitimate argument to be made and they don't have a written constitution that given the space of time that uh, if the people who wanted to leave were so sure of their ground, why wouldn't they give it a second go? Would that not enhance democracy? Uh, But that didn't prevail, as you say, Pat. I think uh, that will be studied in the future by historians and uh, with the outcome uh, in hand in about three or four years' time, uh, there'll be a lot of conclusions drawn that was it really democratic to leave on the basis of a 51% or something very tight at, at that particular but one time. one might say also that uh, when they had their general election recently, the Labour Party were going to give them a second vote. Mm-hmm. Another lady, uh, was the other party there, she was definitely going to have a referendum. The And it was overwhelming majority yeah. for get Brexit done and get out. Mm-hmm. I think part of the fault there was the leadership in the Labour Party didn't come clear on its position and um, Corbyn I think his major mistake was uh, just hedge to to dance on the sidelines and uh, of course he was critical of the big business in Europe but if he had put it clearly that uh, he wanted to change fundamentally the European project I think he needed to lead people rather than uh, prevaricate or hang around he he wanted his apple pie and he wanted to eat it as well he wanted to be on both sides he hadn't the guts to come out on any side and then there wasn't leadership, but the bigger picture in the in in the whole UK is that Scotland isn't happy with the result. Uh, people in the north of Ireland majority aren't happy with the result. So the outcome of all this could be more disintegration within the UK itself, which might in the long run be better for democracy. You know, you have to look on it, take a long time. Farming, Tom, I suppose, is serious. We have England going, as Margaret Thatcher said, they were the biggest contributors into the EU fund. And now you have the pressure of the environment. And Jim mentioned it there a while ago. And I, people might say, like me, that I, I, it is a bit overblown the top, especially here in Ireland, where we are such a small little country in a small little island outside in the Atlantic. And when you go to industrial Germany and South America and different places where the pollution and we have planes passing over us there, if you get up early some morning and look over Nachfair on the hill, you'll see streak after streak after streak after streak, and there's not a word in the amount of pollution there 
they're creating and, and they're down top of the farmers. Farmers, farmers, farmers are out the thing to slate at the moment, Tom. Yeah, well, they, they've come in for a lot of criticism now, you know, with uh, with emissions. And uh, I think that, um, you know, we might be a small little country, but we, we have, um, you know, we, we have a standing uh, Within the, and I, I believe that as well that we have the support and and when if when uh, and and I'm as I said already that uh, we've got huge support here from the European Union in every aspect of life here and if we if we have have failings I'd say maybe we could it could be our own fault maybe with our representation that we, that we've sent to Europe and and you know and that. But I, I would definitely like congratulate Maria McGuinness today for cutting out fresh. You know, just time for someone to just to cut him out and call out this nonsense that they're going out. But as regards the actual overall context, context she's the lady now that Christy Kelly, one of our panelists yes, here, that he wrote her to ask her. She never replied. Why didn't she <coughs> tell us about uh, what was the, the South the, American cattle yeah, deal that was coming the, up? That's, that's right. I and mean, the huge. Trade deal with, uh, with with Brazil, Argentina. Yeah, she never even replied. She never she even replied to Christy to, Kelly. To shocking. But Sean Kelly did reply to him. Did he know nothing about it? This yeah. famous Mercosur so deal, Yeah, but that's why I'm saying, Pat. Like, I mean, that uh, unfortunately our representation. Sean Kelly was at here. He'd be at the opening of a tennis audience here, like for the last f- f- five years. He could He didn't know anything about Mercosur deal. Like, and who, who, that that was the Phil Hogan who. Negotiate. <laughs> negotiated by Phil Hogan, who now is our, our, our chief trade negotiator with the new with the new trade deal with the UK. So, like, I mean, we have to be pitied. Eh? But then again, these are the these are the people that that, that, that we elect and the people that we that, that we give these huge responsible jobs to. But Tom, is that not a bit of a contradiction? Like, you've been praising the EU, Jim, and yourself there for the past while, and here we have these people inside negotiating and fully involved, and they didn't know what was going on, including Phil Hogan, as you're saying, and we had a European election, and the minute it was over, then the announcement about beef coming in from South America. Yeah, but who's, who's part of that? That uh, makes people uh, feel a bit... Our own politicians. And... Uh, and our own commissioner who was yeah. negotiating the deal. Yeah. That's, that's but they're the, the ones that are. That's the trick of the law, politics that, that we're dealing yeah. with in this country, and that's what people that's want what to remember. That's, that's, what what sent out, that's what you sent out. That's it. We, yeah. we, yeah. I didn't send them out. We didn't send them out. We didn't send them out. No, no, no. Of course no. you sent them out. They represent big business across oh. But they were voted in by the people of Ireland in the European yeah, Parliament. Liam, before the clock knows, Liam. No, going back to Jim, I disagree with Jim, you see, and you were kind of hinting that you were in favour, I suppose, of a second referendum. The UK? Yeah. 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 So if there was a second one and it came out as 51-49 again, mm-hmm. would you do want the third one? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like, the, the, I think the, actually the, the English people were smirking at us, you know, I suppose, the, the stupid paddies for having the multiple referenda yeah. before. So I suppose that's another reason why they said, by no way will we vote again. But, but I know I think you have to accept the result as the result, yeah. But they don't always get it right. I mean, we have PR yeah. in Ireland, which probably is a better system. Oh, yes, but in the referendum, it didn't matter in the referendum because it was a, it was a count. Yeah. I know, but uh, they yeah. don't do them too often. Yeah, but the time will oh. tell in all this, you see. Well, time I will mean, tell, yeah. Time will you can you can keep surmising here all night and, and, and next but, week again. But, but this is going to take time to, for to see who's... And as 
Jameson said that the historians can put, you know, if this won't go to history at all, this will be pretty quick. We'll see the, the, the consequences of their Now, folks, as the saying goes, we are where we are, and it is 10 o'clock, and we'll go to net break, and we'll be back to you shortly, and then we'll talk about the cost of graves. You are now tuned in to County Views on West Limerick 102 FM, sponsored by Tynan O'Donovan Solicitors, Limerick and Newcastle West. You are listening to the County Views podcast, as broadcast on West Limerick 102 FM, on the 29th of January 2020, from 9.30 to 11pm. Joining Pat O'Donovan and Tom Ryan for the discussion this week, Liam O'Mahony and Jim McNamara. As this is the County Views podcast, the phone lines and text lines are now closed. Please do not phone or text, otherwise you'll be charged. You are now tuned in to County Views on West Limerick 102 FM, sponsored by Tynan O'Donovan Solicitors, Limerick and Newcastle West. Listeners, I'll take these text messages as a pile of them up here. A lot of them about the politics and the political people and the whole lot. I'm trying to avoid those because with the BEI and all these regulations, you, and about EU regulations, we have regulations regarding the political system as well. You Although, can't. may I just put in for a moment? Yeah. A number of politicians have been accused of uh, using, we say, state occasions and so on recently for uh, uh, paddling their own canoe, basically. What's new? Uh, I'm amazed that Tom Ryan finds nothing wrong with that our country laws are made in Brussels. The mark of a sovereign state is that it rules itself. But what is really frightening is that our political representatives and Irish citizens are so compliant. There is no debate or criticism of EU policies, which is detrimental to democracy. We are separating ourselves from a country of 65 million on our doorstep, a country where we have connections and share a language. If we are really serious about climate change, we should value this market on our doorstep and not turn it away from it. I feel no pride in this country anymore, West Limerick listener. Now it's addressed to Tom Ryan, but Jim, uh, comment on that? Jim Mack has no comment. Yeah. Tom yeah. Ryan. Go on, Tom. I, mean, I am surprised at that. You know, that we're not cutting ourselves away from Britain at all. You know, we're, I mean, Britain left the European Union. And, uh, you know, this idea about them making them, that we're living under European law, we're living on, we can, we can, we have our own constitution, we have our own government, we have, we have, we're sovereign people. It is, the, it is the type of people that are run the country is wrong here. Not the European Union, and it's the same as the bank. It's the same as the time the bank collapsed. We we blamed everyone. Did you ever hear of EU directives, Tom? Of course, I heard about them, and I and I and I agree, and I agree with so, enough uh, of them. Thousands of them. Let them be there. Thousands of them. Any of them you can, if you pick out any one of them. Yeah. Like I mean, they're not. They're, they're all. They can be all looked at, and they can be taken out separately, and you can debate about them. I don't see anything wrong with quality. I don't see anything wrong with laws. I don't see anything wrong with. I I'm very happy that there's someone in there out in Europe to supervise what's going on in this country, but in, in our budgetary, in our economic, and our social, that at least we have another pair of eyes, and there's nothing wrong with that. If we're afraid of that, well then. We're in um, more trouble is, your, is your huge belief and huge admiration for Europe based on the fact that maybe over 30 years 
I don't want to go into politics or parties at the moment. That's why I'm going to spread it back so far. That maybe since God knows who, the, the, the leadership of Irish politicians is not what it was in past generations. We'll put it something like that. Yes, it would be. Yeah. It would be our our method of government, our democracy, to me, has been a sham democracy, like due to the fact of the people that are elected and the way they have governed and, and what they have, the way they've carried out their really and truly what, what they should be, their duties. And Pat, just before I finish, I don't see any reason why we can't talk about politics here because every radio station, you can't turn on any station in any part of the country, but they're discussing local politics, they're discussing the local who's going for it, they're discussing what was done, the local issues. So, like, I I don't know how the, how the BAI could take it. If you say, say it was here, if like, somebody rings up, I've heard them on different radio stations, I heard Ledger <coughs> Madden from North Limerick, he said, I'm going to vote for a particular party because of the debate that was on the television as I was driving from Limerick into Snowden on Monday night. I'm going to vote for a particular party and Niall Byland said that was the station that was on from Dublin and he said you are not allowed to say that and now that you've said it I have got to name all the other parties that are running well and Joe Duffy has that habit of saying that as well on his radio programs that don't mention a name because I'll have to call them all out out, yet I heard on drive time yesterday evening um Basically, when they were discussing it, I think Philip Boucher Hayes was doing some of the candidates in Tipperary, uh, interviewing them. And at the end, he says, uh, all the other candidates will be found on the RTE website. Yeah, I heard that. And he, did, and he didn't call out all the candidates. I heard that last night, and, and I've heard it this evening. And even though we're going away from this one, this message, I, I find it. And Tom and I and the panel tonight discussed it with the MEP, the European Parliament election, that they pick so many on television, and now they don't pick in so many every evening. Half five on RT yep. Radio One, and there seem to be the high-profile names like yesterday in Tipperary, did Matthew McGrath, the main people. Yes, yeah. All those ones on tonight were from Sligo. And you, you've mentioned way. his name now, by the way, so you'll have to mention But he's in tips, yeah. so safe enough. All, we can't vote for him here now. All well known names in Sligo, well known names. And then at the end of those programs, they list out the other 10 or 15 names like Jew, yeah. which means nothing to nobody. So I, 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 That's I a lot find of nonsense, though, Pat. You know what I mean? It is, it is really. Yeah. I mean, you, you like, I mean, any problem, this is, a, this is a, a public election, it is a general election. People are entitled, in particularly all the media. It was kind of forced on by the media, number one, where the print media in particular and uh, and the, 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 the national stations, because it's a huge revenue-gathering thing for them as yeah. well. Remember that. This is a money-making record for the, I mean, for the media as well. And they are, it isn't the first time they're, they're forced. There was no need of election until next April or May. But they, they kept the pressure on non-stop. So I don't see any reason why a, a local Demo station can't... That debate, uh, Tom Ryan's views on Europe and all that, uh, that takes Mr. Swellego. Well, t- Tom is very pro-Europe, obviously, and this, and and I and uh, but for the right reasons, you know, for the I suppose the fact that we probably do need controls on environment and issues like that, and they have been good in, we we'll say, giving us money for roads and uh, unfortunately not for railways so much, but uh, and uh, for. In helping to improve the infrastructure, although, uh, if I can just put them on transport, uh, in some European countries, apparently, uh, f- uh, an outfit like Ryanair, if they have, we say, like a 
the major airport like Paris, was there in Berlin or someplace, that they have to give about 20% of their flights to regional airports. Now, whereas we all know here that we say nearly everybody is shuttling off up to Dublin now to fly out, and we have an airport in Shannon that's half empty most of the time. And like that regulation doesn't seem to be implied here at all, or that it might may not be a regulation, but that kind of principle that you would make Ryanair was uh, have 20% of their flights down in Shannon and maybe another 20% in Cork or whatever, now, 60% I'll, I'll in Dublin. I read some text messages and uh, can Pat, can you ask the panel why are the two men parties ruling out going to collision with Sinn Féin? They are adamant they want Chair Murphy Krikora, so I'll pass on that. Pat, our election campaign is underway and the main topics are health and the homelessness. Why haven't agriculture and farming been on the agenda by the various candidates, Shane Maroney, Castle Mahan? Pat, what does the panel think of the comment Catherine Noonan made about Leo Varadkar? She hasn't been removed from the party and when Verona Murphy made a comment on another topic, she was stopped from running in the forthcoming election. Why weren't they treated the same regard? Same regards Siobhan McNamara in Kappa. A great day for Britain. Wish we came out as well. We could do with Boris. Look at the state of our country and in Limerick. Hello, Pat. I send this text from the high hills overlooking the beautiful village of Knock Row in Cahokan Lish. Can the panel please discuss the following? The NCT suspended the use of lifts at its 47 test centres around the country due to concerns over cracking. Inspections have been taking place in recent days after signs of cracking were found in almost 50 lifts in the north. The same company supplies lifts in the Republic public of Ireland and an initial inspection by the entity has found cracks in one lift. It is now it has now ordered their use to be suspended and a full audit take place to establish the extent of the problem. Drivers due for an NCT will still be able to take two thirds of the test, but will have to return and take the final part once the issue has been resolved. So what does that say about our NCT test centers? Personally I feel they are rigorous in keeping their lifts collaborated as they are checking cows with their rules and regulations, they would be mighty fellas. Mark Tierney. Pat, I'm amazed I've got that one already. Um, that, that's the lifts. Catherine uh, Noon, I think we would be in order to discuss her. Hmm. Yeah, and, I think and, uh, something positive out of that, Pat, is if you look in this week's Observer, which we're allowed to mention newspapers, I presume. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a lovely heading, which Abbey Feel is... And Limerick later on the post as well. Oh, <laughs> yes, they are other newspapers, aren't they? The papers in our area. Uh, the Kerryman, I suppose, Kerry's I wouldn't... No, you're not, uh, you're not going down there, no. They're not allowed to cross there. Our franchise area and he goes to Abbey Field in Glen. Okay. Right? Anyway, Abbey Field is planning to uh, develop the town as an autism friendly town. Oh, yeah. And I think, well, that was in train before the comments this week. And yeah. I think the media made a lot of what might have been a little flippant comment. If you're going around knocking on doors, which is a difficult task now. I mean, let's acknowledge it. It's the time of year when uh, people don't necessarily want to go to the door. I had a canvasser during the week in the middle of the day. But uh, I don't uh, envy open, the people you, who are the traveling you, this constituency. Did you open the absolutely, door? Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, I think the, the positive thing, the whole nature of autism is such that we need better understanding. I think the fact that the comment was made 
it put it a bit on the agenda. Uh, some good may come out of that because uh, the the artistic associations of Ireland uh, did comment as well that uh, this was was a bit flippant. <coughs> and I think the positive thing is that there are towns around the country, and there are cinemas and shopping centres which are now organising themselves to be aware of uh, not just physical disability but sensory disability mm -hmm. as well and I think that's that's positive we have to look on the bright side and we wish Abby Field all the best they're having meetings in the coming week on this now with um, supermarkets and people in the town too so I see some positives out of not out of the discussion not out of any offence to But I suppose we're really come. talking about the, the person who made the statement uh, and yeah, she was a candidate in the she is and is still a, candidate a candidate in the election. Absolutely, mm. yeah. And Tom... And she, yeah, I think it was a disgraceful comment, shocking comment, you know, and uh, it shows her for what she is really, because what you say is what you think, you know, you, you're thinking and you say it, and uh, like, and but she did, as James has rightly said, draw the attention to a, a huge problem that hasn't been even attempted to be misunderstood in this country. And one of many, Tom, of course, in the disability or area. Or in that Tom. area alone. I mean, and, and, and I was a candidate in that area, like in the 2011 election. Or south. And, 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 yes, just south. And we saw at first hand, the, the, first of all, there are thousands upon thousands of, of households and parents with, with the problem. And we haven't even attempted even to tackle it. You know, with very little support. And, and it was a disgrace graceful comment, I mean, by her, like, and, okay, I mean, and Mr. Leo responded, I think, in in a manly way, he just, I mean, he, he what could he do, what, how could you answer that, you know, I mean, like, there was no point in, in having her removed from the party or anything like that, he just, he handled it best he could, and as James has rightly said, he has highlighted now a subject which I think the next government coming in over there, like, should be able to do something about, and that puts a foot in around the like the last like successful governments have been doing. Um, uh, she's a solicitor, I think, by trade. I think am I right? Don't know. Not sure. Yeah, but um, she was the chairperson of the constitutional convention that um, brought on the uh, referendum to do away with the Eighth Amendment. And uh, I had an interaction with her by email back that time when uh, I sent her an email and uh, next thing I got an e a response back by email saying, would you, Liam, uh, please tell all the people who are sending me these similar emails that uh, it's not going to work for them. So I replied immediately and says, dear Catherine, I am not your servant. It's not for me to be telling other people. And what is wrong with the email? What was wrong with the wording of it? What was wrong with the content of it? And uh, we had a couple of other emails. I've kept, I've kept them actually. And uh, she said to me, you know, anyone that knows me, I said, I said at one stage, I said, I think now you're showing a bias and that you should resign from the chair of the Constitutional Convention. And as I say, I have all these emails, so this, this is all factual. And uh, she said to me then, final email, uh, second final, for her final email, anyone that knows me knows that I would be very impartial and etc. etc. So I just said, time will tell.
Um, so well, that's an interesting so that, was, that was my intent. That was, yeah. yeah, I remember you saying that before here yeah. one night in the programme as well, and it shows you the type of person she is yeah. like, and it but shows you the people that, 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 are, that, are, that are hijacked into that. Yeah. To a, a crucial, a crucial, like, I mean, yeah. Now she obviously, yeah, she obviously didn't like her inbox probably having 400 emails arriving at the one time. Yeah. But unfortunately, if you have an email con- account and you're a politician, there have been questions that can about the, const- the manner in which that that group of people were selected, wasn't there? Yes, but uh, but I mean, um, you would expect the chairperson of it to be very very impartial and not to send well, a kind of a, a wildcat message well, like I, that. I, I I mightn't blame you, and I'd be surprised that you might because I think a lot of those things. Are picked and selected and oh, they are, there was big yeah. questions about oh, yeah. the suitability of most of them indeed that you wouldn't yeah, be expecting them to you be. Know, you can extend that to the Citizens Assembly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want the Citizens Assembly for? We have a government. We elect a government. Yeah, yeah. You know, are they not able to have they not the competence for to be able to for to be able to I mean rule like and make the laws and get them debated but to see you have a, a, a doll that's non-existent therefore you have to have a Citizens Assembly then to, for to make up whatever sorts them. You know. Well sorry the, the, the all is non-existent when some of the deputies are gone and other people press buttons for them. Oh, exactly. Sure, I mean, you can see that. Every, every now, 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 now. Uh, You're Tom, pressing buttons now, Liam. <laughs> Tom, Tom Ryan and uh, Liam O'Mahony and uh, Jim McNamara. If you were living in Greece and if your female partner gave birth to a baby, you would get a 2000 bonus for that. Uh, if you live in Australia, you would get 3000 for a baby bonus. And changing times, isn't it, Tom? No comment. The tree buyers are stunned. I was looking for... No, that's because, of, that's because, because of the falling population. Yes, 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 yes. Some it's people said to me... Actually, you know, children the Lord, don't you? You would be told at the end of the year would amount to thousands. Like, so they have a what, bosh- what point are you trying to make, Pat? They have a portion in on one hand and they're giving them 2,000 have babies on the other hand. So it, it, it confuses, it confuses. Anyway, I mentioned cemeteries while ago and, of course, we had the case in Kerry and, and uh, I won't pass any comment about Kerry apart from it happened in Kerry and that uh, a woman got buried in the wrong room and she had to be taken up again last week and there was a lot of controversy about it and the families in question were very annoyed over the manner in which it was done. And the the cost of graves crops up from time to time, not on radio programs really, but in um, discussions on a one-to-one. Sometimes the the, the headstones are row over a headstone is coming in over the grave beside it and all kinds of things can be quite troublesome I was involved in one of them on behalf of somebody there some time ago a man who was has died since but he was uh, he was in mature years and he had a fierce bee in his bonnet over the grave and the one beside him and who was inside it and what's anyway back to the in County Clare I believe is two and a half uh, 250 for a grave in uh, probably not in all of them, but in some of them, and in Limerick it is two and a half thousand at the moment to buy a grave, and in some other places you cannot buy it in until you need it. You can't buy it, and I'll use it in twenty years' time, or someone will be using it in ten or twenty years' time. And in England, 
England, it is the most exclusive location in Britain, a plot in Highgate's East Cemetery, resting place of Carol Marx, George Elliott, Malcolm McLaren, you, will set you back 20,000. In the West Cemetery, where lie George Michael, Christina Rossetti and Michael Farada, a plot costs 40,000. We have a reputation of being the most expensive cemetery in the country. That is a grave subject. This yeah, grave, the well, <laughs> well, grave subject. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose uh, anywhere we lead, it's a very questionable thing. In and, and I know there's a lot of rows and some. There are still some private ones, and there are ones hidden in all kinds of away places. And, and cremation is on the rise, which may make this discussion less important for the generations to come. Exactly. But I have a nice story. I had occasion to uh, be at the burial of a family member. Was it a burial, Jim, or a cremation you were at? No, burial, burial. You full full grave, full grave. Cremation of Sam McGee, you did. Oh, yeah, that's another one now. <laughs> but uh, there is still a lovely tradition in some parts of the country where uh, the locals get together and they dig the grave and they completely cover the grave mm. after. They don't sanitise it by putting flowers or bits of plastic carpet over it. They totally cover the grave and uh, nobody gets paid anything. In West Cork, I think, I think, in West Cork, I think is one area, I think, yeah. It happens in Nartip or around yeah. Newport area. And I'm glad and to say it still happens in my native Tullin County. It, it, it happens in Tullin as well. In yeah. Tullin. In Graveyard. The neighbours dig it. They do, yeah. By well, shovels. People. Yeah. All the neighbours, yeah. yeah. And the earth yeah. is up and the coffin goes in and they throw yeah. the earth in on top of it and it's covered, it's finished. Completely. And they put the shovels across the top of it. And I believe I it's a yeah. nice way, and I hope that tradition yeah. will last. Well, it is a good tradition, like, and is, I must say that the people that do it, like, they deserve great praise and yeah, thanks as well. Because neighbors, it's neighbors, a difficult neighbors. job. A lot of them would take time off from work and all that, oh, yeah. you, you know, in order to do it. So it is a good And there's no one getting paid for which is wonderful no, as well, exactly. because it's one of the few things yeah. that we still have left it's now. A small little uh, compensation at the yeah. end, usually, yeah. from maybe. Yeah. A drink or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but I, suppo I, I suppose the the kind of the gradual doing away with that tradition was partially maybe to health and safety as well. No, but not so much to health and safety, but not, not to maybe make the grief worse for the family, as you know. I'd say that was one probably intention. I think Nigel Farage and the British MPs that left uh, the Parliament in Europe today instead of waving the Union Act, I think they had a right to wave health and safety because that's the bigger <laughs> problem as we have in the country. Everything is way about health and safety to ban and change things. Can the panel please discuss the following, gentlemen and ladies? We have no ladies here but lady listeners. The country's two biggest banks are currently engaged in a massive sell-off. There's quite a few texts on this one. In a massive sell-off of their ATM machine network. Bank of Ireland is selling off 700 of their ATMs, while AIB has put 375 of their ATMs cash machines on the market for bidders who are interested in running them and presumably setting up their own charging system. The 1,075 ATMs being sold off are mostly based in shopping centres, supermarkets and other rental outlets, precisely the locations where most customers withdraw their cash. 
According to one individual familiar with the ongoing sales process, there is talk of a 350 charge on every single withdrawal, no matter what the amount is if this private deal is successful. This means that if you want to withdraw 10 euros from the ATM because it's practical, all you've got left in your account, then you can't because there would be a charge of 350 on top of the tenor. This will hit anyone living in rural areas where banks are becoming as rare as post offices. We should remind ourselves that both of these banks are recapitalized bailed out by the state in 2009. AIB is 71% owned by the Irish taxpayer, while Bank of Ireland state shareholding is now 14%. The problem is they're still riding us, is the word he uses. Uh, the banks that were saved from the from extension continue to screw the same people whose hard-earned money was used to bail them out in return for having kept them afloat. They want to screw us more. These banks are exempt from corporate tax on profits for the next 25 years. This means a win-win for the banks. All the profits are theirs. Yet again, the taxpayer is forced to pay up in a deal to sell off state-owned equipment to private capitalists who will then undoubtedly have access to our private banking details and information. How else is a private company going to give you money unless they know what's in your bank account? Some advice for those who use ATM machines. Withdraw money from your account over the counter at your local branch of the bank that you have your account with. Otherwise, use the ATM at that branch. Set yourself up for online banking and manage whatever is coming in and going out on your account. If you can't get a family member you trust to help you, request a breakdown of all your bank charges. This is usually the hefty chunk of money that is withdrawn from your account when you are least expecting to and then appears in a statement without any clue as to why it was charged. This is the latest move by banks who are telling us, do your banking business online and don't bother us. And that is Mike and Kilmallock, Lyle East Lemmer. Mike, a, a fine job you did on that one, and thank you for all the detail. Good evening, West Limerick listeners, and good evening all at West Limerick radio station. This sounds like the Eurovision a bit. What do you think of the proposed 350 fee to withdraw each transaction from ATMs? This fee is for any amount, big or small. Did you hear about this, Anna? We did indeed, and listening to the put-down comment on Yes Minister about the intelligence of the Irish, I can only say that the replies of your panel bears out the truth of it. To say we are not capable of running our own affairs is offensive and demeaning in the extreme. We can only hope that the EU, EU will love us forever. West Limerick listener. Now, back to the ATMs. Jim McNamara, and we're also coming up to ad time at half past ten. Uh, Jason, we'll take the ad breaks. If you're listening to me out there, we'll go to an ad break just now. And Liam has a little statement to make as well. I think when we come back and then we'll go to the ATMs. You are now tuned in to County Views on West Limerick 102 FM, sponsored by Tynan O'Donovan Solicitors, Limerick and Newcastle West. You are listening to the County Views podcast as broadcast on West Limerick 102 FM on the 29th of January 2020 from 9.30 to 11pm. Joining Pat O'Donovan and Tom Ryan for the discussion this week, Liam O'Mahony and Jim McNamara. 
As this is the County Views podcast, the phone lines and text lines are now closed. Please do not phone or text, otherwise you'll be charged. You are now tuned in to County Views on West Limwick 102FM, sponsored by Tynan O'Donovan Solicitors, Limwick and Newcastle West. Welcome back, listeners, and it's just at half past ten, and here in Newcastle West, uh, this weekend, indeed, uh, sad news of uh, very one of... Probably one of Ireland's finest newspaper reporters, Martin Burns, passed away. Of course, Martin was a reporter with the Weekly Echo and Limit Leader for many, many years. And a neighbour of mine, of course, in Maiden Street here in Newcastle West also, and extremely helpful indeed. And in relation to Knockfair, which I've been involved with for nearly the same 35 years indeed as Martin was with the Limit Leader, he was hugely helpful and he had a wonderful turn of phrase and a wonderful turn with the pen and a, a Torah gentleman, and his good friend from his school days, Liam O'Mahony, appropriately enough that he's also with us here tonight. So, Liam, you might do, tell us a bit about Yes, Martin, thank you, Pat. Like, um, yeah. Martin has been a friend of mine since I was, I suppose, six or seven years of age, and our parents would have been mutual friends as well. So uh, he was an only son, I was an only child, and uh, we kind of, I suppose, gravitated towards each other in primary school. Uh, then as we got a bit older we both had bicycles and we were cycling with a few other school friends we'd be off to Adair, Fines, every part of West Limerick, Kilmallock, not as far as Kilmallock but um, Drumcolour, Abbey Field and Glencoin uh, Castle, Nakaderi and uh, we take different locations. I remember one evening actually now that Nakaderi comes to mind that we had an argument people know me that I can be argumentative at times about what was the road to Newcastle West and uh, Martin said it was to go right, I said it was to go left, so I went left anyway and I arrived in Newcastle West but Martin arrived about two hours later. This was when I was one up on him because he was cycling away and he said to some house, he stopped at some house and he said, is it far to town? Of course, being from Newcastle West, there's only one town. And this woman says, yep, yeah, you're on the right road. You'll be there now in about 10 minutes. The town was Ratkeel. <laughs> <laughs> so he finished up in Ratkeel. He had another eight miles to do. And uh, now uh, uh, he also had a gr- good interest in uh, trains and things like I had and was a great supporter of the Great Southern Trail. And uh, now that Tom is here with us, I was thinking about, we went to a match in Tullus from Kilmallock Railway Station, which was still barely open. Now, it could be around 1990, it might be before your time, Tom, or whatever, but it was Limerick and Cork anyway. It could have been a, a Munster semi-final maybe, and Cork beat the Living Daylights or the Limerick, so probably before your time, Definitely Tom. not my time. Definitely not. And After your time, yeah. Uh, the train was packed, you see. I mean, people getting on in Kilmallock, the train had originated in Cork, but it was... Uh, not just the, tra- the train carriages had a first-class carriage in it because it would have been under Dublin to Cork Lane normally. And nobody went into the first-class carriage. There's no such thing as a first-class ticket when you're going to a rail, when you're going into a match. It's just the one ticket. So Martin and myself went into the first-class carriage, naturally, and we have our knowledge of trains, and pulled the sliding door. And when a few of these rebels came along with their red headbands and everything like that, they looked in, they saw Martin being very dignified, myself not being as dignified, and 
they all turned away again and said, this is probably a private carriage. <laughs> so he wrote about it anyway the following week in the lead, and he says... Uh, Cork might have won the match, but Limerick won the train. <laughs> won the train. <laughs> and, and the train was packed now, so they were all standing and we had the carriage to ourselves. Well, a couple of adults kind of moved in, they copped on, it was open. But no, but then he, he was um, a great advocate for the town. I think uh, he was instrumental in getting the town motto, Os Dukas Dukas, uh, being recognised, I think, yeah. And uh, he also was involved, we were teenagers then, and uh, we were involved in the Tidy Towns Committee. And we had a lot of old ladies on that committee. They're all good now, dead now, God be good to them. And they were lamenting the demise of the old agricultural show, which kind of ended in the early 1960s. And every year, like when we were 14 or 15, it would come up around the summertime, tis a pity that the old show has gone and the flower show has gone. So one year anyway, we said, will we do the flower show? And three weeks from agreeing to do it at the meeting, the two of us had the show up and running and the show lasted 50 years until last year and uh, Martin again was instrumental in that as well and we got a bit of advice from um, Mike Healy who was the father of the Mike Healy it was uh, our own vintage was there uh, and uh, he had been the secretary of the old show so he gave us some advice we went out to Kevin McGee and Arda who did the printing and we hired the motel and the show took off and that was it. And uh, so he and he was involved in many many things really, you know. And uh, but a great brain, and uh, very very sharp and very quick to put anybody down as well if they were getting notions. <laughs> God bless memories, Liam. And uh, I, rem- I remember like him well in reading his articles, yes, yeah. you know. But um, I just like as we are in, in that vein now, I just like to pay tribute to another another very important man in his own time, uh, Pat Kendi, who, who was also buried last week. Pat was um, ex-Mayor of Limerick, and uh, I found him, you know, a tremendous worker for local issues. Fine Gael, I think he ended up independent, I'm not sure in, in that regard, but definitely he was a, a leading light in, in the all-time councils, took great responsibility, had a great respect for Limerick and a great love for it, and was well-liked and a lovely man, gentleman. And uh, he was a teacher and pastor and had a lot of qualifications, but I found him in a few occasions that we needed real heavyweight support in issues, especially with the, with, with the Greyhound track. He was to the forefront, and I'd like just to mention him here tonight. Uh, he's a, he's a sad loss, but he was, he done great service to Limerick, much like like mm-hmm. Martin in his own way. And there are there are people like that, and we have to acknowledge them as well. And that's what that's what I want to do here tonight. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Liam, and we extend our sympathies indeed to b- both <coughs> families there. I, I, I was familiar with Pat Kennedy. He was a member of the Tormund Archaeological Historical Society as well, and at many, many meetings I was quite surprised because when I met him there in December and November period, he looked to be in very good health and good form, so alas. Now, folks, um, the, this program, people ask, when can I hear it, when can I see it? It is repeated tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Thursday nights until half past eight. And County Views has its own Facebook page, and the show is available to listen back on podcast, on Spotify, Apple Podcast, etc. 
and Jason also tells me mention this program will be on all major podcast apps by the weekend so you can also as people last week's one there was a lot of phone calls about when can I hear it again we had um, Owen Hand Owen Hand and Tom Ryan and company last week and it was a very very popular program on, with Owen Hand and County Views has its own Facebook page and the show is available to listen back on po- podcast on Spotify Apple and podcast etc and also it will be on the, all the major podcasts Jason tells me by the week end now <coughs> we were talking about banks. The, the banks and the changes and literally everything is going into one. We've lost post offices, we've lost shops, we've lost Gardi, and there's only a few of us left, lads, and the post offices are disappearing. And it's nearly a one-stop shop now, indeed, in many towns, many t- small villages and small towns that have no shop and no bank, no post office. And now we have the ATM machines. There were the things we were placed in the banks were holding the wall, and now they're disappearing. And when they go into the shops, uh, Jim McNamara, I'm not sure which direction I'm going in, uh, into the shops and the supermarket is closed. Uh, there was a time you could get it any time of night passing through, but you won't now when the supermarkets that seem to be moving into are closed, and the same for post office. Well, post office will be closed anyway. Mm, yeah, that's true. And uh, these are the same big banks which sold off loans to hedge funds, which and have vulture funds. vulture funds, which have directly contributed to homelessness, which is probably one of the bigger issues that's coming up in, in this whole election. We don't want to mention candidates, but health and homelessness seem to be the two which uh, are ringing Holding. around Holding. the country. Which we had messages there around from people as well that isn't entirely mentioned. Yeah, yeah. and um, I mean, homelessness banks... They're interlinked, but I think there's no point in just looking on these as if they had dropped out of the sky. These are guided by the Minister for Finance in Ireland and by the Central Bank of Ireland, and it is the politics which allowed the sell off of uh, these, the whole NAMA project was the result of uh, politicians who really didn't care. Now that you're talking about NAMA, yeah. and I have Mount Trinchard written down here, mm-hmm. and, I'd, and the Chum Babies. Now, I didn't write down anything about Chum Babies, but I think Mount Trinchard and those holding. Centres, you might call asylum, asylum yeah. holdings, holding yeah. systems where the many people were kept inside in it for ten, up to ten years. That's right, yeah. and it's going on now for twenty years. And Tom Ryan and I have shouted about it here from time to time. Now it's closing down. The one in Mount Trinchard, and I heard in RT Radio a couple of people talking about it, it was the same as Montana, maybe whatever, mm. etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nama where property was sold to vulture funds when there could have been houses could have been sold on a 1112 families and to have alleviated a huge amount of this yeah. problem that we have in house homelessness. But the people who uh, oversaw the banks are our own 
uh, our own political leadership, the Minister for Finance, and the current, uh, well, the current Taoiseach is only there for two years. It goes back before his time. Back, but to, back it, as far as you like. As we are in a general election yeah. mode, we ought to keep in mind that if we put back the same people, we're going to get more of the banks making their own rules with the nod, and they know there'll be minimal regulation, and of course they'll put the ATMs away, and you'll be saying, well, can't you go into the counter? You can go into the counter, but you'll wait with one person in either of the two, three banks in Newcastle West, and a queue, and you'll wait, and you'll wait, and the bank will be closed, and... As Tom Ryan said, huh? you've voted them in, and you've voted them in for 25, 30, 40, 50, 70, 100 years, nearly to stage, Liam O'Mahony would tell us, yeah. Although Pat, the programme tonight is low profile, I think we've got the two <laughs> best Texas end that we've ever got since we started the programme. First one in the NCT. Secondly, the one in the banks. It, they have, we have to complement the actual list that's in the yeah. doors in. This is an, uh, an outrage what's been, what's, been, what's been like proposed by the banks. And James has said it out there. These are the units that put this country into the World Bank and into nearly liquidation. There was no supervision then. There is no now. The money they're making is obscene. Billions of profits for the Bank of Ireland, hundreds of, t hundreds of millions for the AIB. You know, and everything that's wrong with this country is, has been perpetrated by, by the banks. And the lack of control, the lack of oversight, and, and the incompetence of Taoiseachs and ministers and Department of Finance officials. I mean, when, 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 in all fairness, are we going to say that we want no more of this? This is an absolute disgrace, like. And of course, now, the, the, what prompted this, I believe, was and the robberies, like, and you see in the, along the border areas, the our, our no-go area and our Mexico and, and Colombia areas, like, in the country that we have with no law. Like, but where are we, are we going to stand idly by, as the man said, or stand by and watch this happening? It can't work, and it shouldn't be let work. As, as Jim has rightly said, they sold it out to the vultures, they sold it out to um, the hedge funds, they're up to their neck and name, or our politicians have gone and they have washed their hands. They haven't the competence, not they haven't the actual guts to say, look, enough is enough, we're going to tolerate this no more. So I think the people now who have the right time, it's time to be acting on, on these people that are, that are overseeing this. You know, I mean, this could end up a total disaster altogether. And again, what are they doing? Washing their hands of it. They want, what they want is, they want turnover. They want to charge you. They want profits. And they're getting them. And I was actually, I didn't, I didn't know that they had, that they had, a, like, a kind of a cat blanche to make what money that I can pay no tax. Is that, is that correct, Jim? Is that, is that right, Jim? I don't know. I mean, there, 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 yeah. there, there, are, there are no... There are no tax in 1925, it says there. In one of those, yeah. I mean, can you believe that, like, I mean... 
people are, um, I, I find the older people just are more careful in checking things and yeah. across the board and the younger generation. I said the younger people would push it in, push it out and there could be over charge. But mm. I had a case recently, I'm not sure if I said it here already, but back around Christmas time there, I, I decided to check all my bank statements against um, the check stubs to see that what was written out was what was taken out of the bank account and it was almost Christmas Eve I was at this close to Christmas and a Saturday night which is not a good time to be at bank things because you'll find something that's seriously annoying you can do nothing about it till the banks open on the Monday if you're lucky to get through to them indeed mm. and uh, the check that was written was 8.20 last May and it cleared the banks went through the bank system my account in July and the amount of money that was taken out was 820. 820. And I double checked with my check stub and uh, what it was about, and the correct amount was 8.20. And went into the bank on the Monday, and the lady looked it up very fast. Now it came up straight away, a copy of the check and the whole lot, and it went to another county, and it was cashed. You can't cash a check, of course, which is another thing, Tom. If you get a check from anyone going to the bank to give you cash, you can't get it anymore. It has to go into an account. So that we ain't much freedom anymore. But anyway, she brought up the check and it went large to an Ulster bank account. And it also wrote down that it was stopped because they took it in as 820. And as soon as they realized it should have been 8.20 to stop payment to the customer that got it. And that came on into my bank. And that's what she had on the system, a cheque showing that the cheque had been stopped. Not my payment was stopped, but taken out. And I, I still left the question, where did the 800, and it was taken out of my account. It wasn't put into his account. And uh, Tom, you're good, you have answers to everything, Tom. <laughs> where was it lying yeah, where since was it last lying? July? It, was it wasn't in his, the bank. it wasn't in mine. Yeah. Would, would they have given it back to you if you hadn't checked? Obviously not, because we were six months passed on down the road. This was last July. Uh, all our bank statements were finished and cleared. And Italy finally. What do CEOs need golden handshakes yeah. when what, they leave? What of an excuse did they give her? What, what, and, uh, did they give any explanation for this? I got a long-winded letter that look into it. And I... Got a, I suppose, uh, what I might say is a kind of a politician's letter, a load of lines, but literally telling me nothing. But I'm, I mean to get back to them again yes. to explain. I, I got a letter and a load of waffle, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Like <laughs> you should be getting interest. I know interest would be small for they having your money for that's that length well, of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and well, inconvenience and stress. Yeah. But that's not the point, like, is it? No. The point we're making is that yeah. the money was stolen from you. Actually, it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's as simple as that. If it's, if it's, if you stole it from the euros in a, sh in, in a shop, you get yeah. twelve months. Mm -hmm. You know, and and these people. 
people like the crimes that were committed and they were mm-hmm. I mean during the during the actual financial collapse we were blaming we were blaming Europe actually here I had to stand up for, for my European comrades yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know and these people Nobody need to stand up from we you. had directors <laughs> of all these banks we had you know and very important people read them who they are all they're all some of my not British one turn in as well and very like fancy names and the you know all the directors all the the, the actual the, the CEOs of these banks what are they getting hundreds and hundreds I think there was one bank one time was it the Bank of Ireland or was the DIB they couldn't get a, a, a CEO because he was getting he, he'd have to get an open check like that, whatever he wanted yeah, himself yeah, he'd yeah. come from Australia or someplace now Honestly, back you know. to the, the, these uh, cards no, yeah. Anna yeah. from Fermanagh I don't know where Anna is from but there is a song Anna from Fermanagh and she comes back again and she says that charge in the UK is 50 pence as opposed to 350 here of course there's no doubt about it concerts as well when they're playing England these big groups they're about 50% cheaper than when they come to Ireland as well yeah well, no, on, on the banks, I suppose everybody should be aware if you do take money out of the, the hole in the wall that there is a commission if you're going maybe to the machine of another bank. I mean, the advice really is you should stay with your own bank, uh, only do an ATM in your own, uh, of your own banks, um, yeah. we say, uh, we say uh, outlets around the country. So in other words, if you're with AIB, just keep using AIB ones because if you go to the Bank of Ireland one then they may charge you mm-hmm. and that's what's going to happen you're definitely inside in these uh, ATMs and the supermarkets and so on that this I believe this outfitter from the United States that took over all these can this be stopped like no, but, but see, but see there, you, you'll be warned you see when you probably you, there'll probably be a sign come up saying you know this may incur a charge and you're being warned then no, no, but, 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 but I mean, the selling off the franchise. Is that, are, are they, you know, can that be, can that... Can well, they, they'll say, they, 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 but, but they'll say, Tom, that what they're doing is that they're giving more outlets and that they're giving you a bigger choice, that in other words, that you can, this is your choice. But if you want to get, we'll say, that money, we'll say, at an inconvenient time, like when, the, if you're not near the actual bank, that you can be charged for that convenience and it's the same thing like if you go and buy something online or buy something in the United States you'll find that the in your credit card statement like the transaction uh, the conversion fee first of all from euro to dollars now that'll be very generous on their own side as well so you'll be getting kind of a bad deal there and then there'll be the transaction charge Mm-hmm. So there'll be two fees, like one for converting from euro to dollars, and the other will be the transaction charge. Sure and that can depend on the percentage, and, and that can, it probably is a ceiling, but the ceiling could be quite a large amount. But uh, but then there's a minimum one too, so if you go out to take out the tenor, like the improper, the, the pauperised the, the students will say take out 10 or 15 euros, they could be charged maybe, Joe Duffy was on about it, I think, today, a 40% commission in some cases. Yeah. You know, but but I mean, let the buyer beware. But, That's why, the but why, like, I mean, can, you know, with the situation, and as James has already 
have pointed out quite eloquently, like the, uh, the banks, like, I mean, can they, you know, when we hear about the collapse, straight away they talk about Pepe Hatton, they talk about Fianna Fáil, you know, they're crucifying them, and rightly so, I mean, they, they, they play their pattern too. But there's no one talking about the banks. There's no one talking about the auditors that are the banks. There's no one talking about the directors. There's no one talking about the Department of Finance that allowed it, the oversight. And, and, and all these gurus that are getting... Thousands upon thousands of sell of maybe up to two hundred thousands of salaries, like to oversee, oversee. There wasn't one of them caught out, not one of them. They're all back now, and and the, the fellas that were in the private banks, and you can talk and see what happened in England, like, and you can see what they're doing now again. They're, they're all out there flashing, buying property and everything. You know, I mean, when is when are we going to say stop to all this? And, and when is that someone going to be held to account for it? And the people that are, that are responsible, and that was one thing that I that I said earlier on, didn't that what I said or anything? But there's another text there, like I know he's talking about. He's all confused anyway about the about the, the English referendum, and and, and the leaving. He said that, that we were we were contradicting ourselves. But we can come back to that maybe not tonight, but another night. But why can't we say, look, we have to have responsible people running our country. The, the, our cabinet is our board of management. Our Taoiseach is our CEO. And they have to be held responsible for, for what happened in our hospitals, in our housing, in our homelessness, and every aspect of what's happening in this small bit of a country that we have here that we can run it without, without having every night to, to, to be complaining about simple things that should be put right and left right. I, I, want to, I just want to make a point too that um, I know we say from my teaching times that the banks were very quick to get into schools and schools I believe shouldn't leave them in without bringing in maybe the credit union as well and maybe put them up there on the stage and say okay AIB, Ulster Bank etc set out your stall and open it up to the public and, and educate the youngsters we say as to what's likely to be what they're likely to be charged and so on for the facility and then of course the banks don't want the credit unions to be able to give out ATM machines and things at all I see that there's a kind of withholding that and yeah. like that's for the younger people I say now that I mean schools are complicit because they let them in and they shouldn't let them in sure. without bringing in we said the credit union now, and, and one other thing Pat like in Newcastle West like if you're going into the banks and if you're an elderly person you're standing there in the queue and it is an absolute disgrace that there isn't even a chair or a bench for people to sit down and that goes for all the banks in Newcastle West God be with the days when you go into the bank and, and if there was a bit of a queue any little bit of a queue the bank manager came out to assist to, nowadays could be yeah. out the door and nobody seems to care this is an election poster sheet and I'll read it out I hope I'm not breaching the BAI regulations it is uh, West Limerick anyway what this political party what I'm not naming the political party what that that party means in West Limerick and it is from 1918 and have you ever thought what effect Irish freedom would have on our own district? Look around and see one of the most fertile parts of Europe supporting with difficulty less than 10,000 families, with a population drained each year by the immigration of the best of its manhood and womanhood. Look at the Shannon, the greatest waterway in Ireland flowing by your doors, silent and without life. 
A self-governing Ireland would change all that. The harbours of Ireland would be open to the shipping of the world. Fines developed by an Irish parliament would become a busy port. Newcastle West and Redkeel would become thriving centres of industry and the adjoining countryside would share their prosperity. No longer need the Limerick farmer to be dependent on one market for the sale of his produce. Irish ships would carry his cattle to Genoa, to Hamburg, to the French ports, to all the markets of Europe. The rivers would be drained and land now used would become rich and fertile. The Irish colonies would be developed and a cheap coal supply would be at your doors. These are a few things a free island would bring to West Limerick. What are you doing to make Ireland free? Don't sit in the fence while others do the work. Well, the coal, the coal will be the thing, the coal will be the thing of the past. Anyway, it wouldn't because, be loudest, uh, because they're going to be searching <laughs> trucks for coal now very soon, and they're going to but, be prosecuting but one people. Thing, I suppose there's one thing can be taken out of that, like that, that it isn't a total disaster because fines, I suppose, must be one of the best. Pro- Ports in Europe, you know, but is it utilised as much as well, it is not developed it, as much it, as it should be done? It, well, sure, always, it, it is. It, it is in a development program, like, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it has the facilities and it has the team, it has the management there, like, mm-hmm. for to drive it on. And that we have to, we have, so we have to credit them too. Yeah, it isn't yeah. all negative here, like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and uh, the, the, the thing about it is that uh, that's that's brilliant, like, you know. But that was like the, 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 the item I mentioned here, here that I was watching over Christmas, where the first. Style was actually, you, you know, gave out its ideals of what they were going to do, and that was to, and to look at and. When that was being at the anniversary of the 100 years of the first dial, we had all our present dial, and we had people there that weren't even attentive, ex-ministers, ex-teachers, the whole lot, and they were all there dressed up like tailors dummies, listening to what what the ideals of the Irish, the, of, the, of our uh, Irish freedom fighters that were time, yeah. at that particular time, and, to, and and they had the audacity to sit and listen. I mean, I think I was shamed. Well, you couldn't embarrass them. So that's what the program is about. That's what we're talking about here tonight. They're, they're beyond embarrassment because they haven't the confidence to be embarrassed that I might run the country. Listeners, on February the 18th, on a Tuesday night at the Longford House Hotel, this radio station needs money to keep going. It's a community radio station, and Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor will be there. Tickets are 25 euros each for that one. There are still some tickets available. They're selling very, very well. So hopefully you will call to the radio station or to Pat O'Donovan Auctioneer's office or the Long Courthouse Hotel, and you can get tickets for that event there. And also on next Tuesday night here at the radio station itself, there is a public meeting because it is community radio station. It is supposed to involve all of the people from all the franchise area, from Glen Abbey Field, Mount Collins, and back to as far as Croke, and on as far as Clown Cat, Ballingarry, believe it or not, is not in our franchise area, from Collar and Fina, and along from colour that area and everything in between and we need more people involved as many of you know that you're hearing the same voices very much a lot of the time which should not be the case and hopefully on next Tuesday night we would like to see people from all of those areas and all the areas in between of course as well that the meeting is on here we did find out about a local venue but it was costing 75 euros to hold the meeting in a public area in town 
and Lima Mahani will recall I and Father Bais Langroor we were the first chairman of the community centre for Newcastle West to be built at the time to provide people with an alternative place to meet rather than inside in public houses but alas it doesn't seem to work out quite like that but then things don't always work out like you plan them to be so next Tuesday night here at the radio station at 8 o'clock hopefully you will take it serious folks it is your radio station the future is very much at stake as it has been for many many years it had a huge debt in the past that debt is literally cleared literally cleared at the present time but all the other regulations are coming down on top of us like a ton of bricks and hopefully there will be a good turnout in that and next Tuesday night and hopefully also if you want to buy a ticket for anybody for the snooker it's a good way of supporting the radio station Steve Davis was here last year a brilliant funny 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 guy I watched him back in the 80s we seemed to watch an awful lot in that time and I thought he was the most boring player the job on he's liked spending over a ball but a very nice jolly fella and he visits all the local hospitals which will probably do all that again and this time Dennis Taylor is joining him so any quick comment on anything else time has gone over the limit Jason Vince, is waving his Vince two fingers at me coming up Pat uh, Saturday is February 1st fail a breather yeah number of things happening around the well uh, I think that's the evening around half seven uh, yeah uh, but well, also yeah. we have a uh, there's a Kirkle Gaelic, which is people who like to speak Irish at any level at all and uh, that is on Saturday morning it meets every two weeks it's at 10.30 in the Long Court House and this particular Saturday we will be making from precious rushes from Nocaderry we will be making St. Bridget's Crosses and there'll be a workshop and everybody is welcome and it's free in and you can go home with a St. Bridget's Jim, Cross. Jim, I'm welcome over time but bear with us Gerald Jason I'm glad you mentioned a bit about people promoting the Irish language and that and we here the chairman secretary Pat Cummins have, has both written and I have contacted verbally quite a number of people promoting Irish language to do an Irish language program here a half an hour a week or an hour a week for over 12 months or two years we've been requesting it and nobody has come forward to do an Irish program which is very very disappointing I do not speak Irish I should be ashamed of myself and I am that I do not speak the Irish well, language you're quite a young but, man yet but you the, could learn the but language but the facility you know. has been well, the facility has been made available to the people like you and others who promote Irish language to take it up and use the airwaves ah, here now. for a half an hour an hour Wonderful. per week you can easily say Goramahagut Patrick because Big Clar Ella unsure I could say a little bit I could say a little bit like that but equally, I'm saying to you, Jim, and the people who promote the Irish language, like speaking the Irish language, that we have requested them on numerous occasions to come in here to the radio oh, station to do a, a half an hour, an hour a week, and promote the Irish language, which I would love to see them doing. Why not, Tom? But the solution is for people who are running programmes to use it and not self-censor, which is what is happening at the moment. Yes, I'd like to say, Pat, you know, that, um, and um, confirm what you've already said about the radio station, uh, I get a great reaction to it, but that you can't be cashed in any bank, and it's it's actually you know 
I mean, it's a time for, I think, the listeners and the people who are Slimerick to stand up and be counted here because we've been squares everywhere. And, you, you know, there has to be a reaction to that because, you know, it's a great facility and people won't be, they won't be soon until it's gone. And then there'll be crotalling about it. Liam, a quickie. Yes, no, I wish you look, Pat, and the... Um, yeah. Uh, we said with the soccer tournament and everything else that was said, and I agree with Jim too. Uh, everybody should win Usadas and Mel Gwilgataka. So, folks, we're gone five minutes over time, and good night and shlan. Shlan, I know that. Fair play to you. Thanks. So, and our thanks to Jason. Would you believe it, Jason? Outside there, we're going over time. He, he's done an Irish course, even born and raised in England. He's done an Irish course. Our Jason has. So, there you are. No, so good night, folks. Take Brexit. care, <laughs> and until we talk again next week. West Limerick 102. You've just been listening to the County Views podcast, as broadcast on West Limerick 102 FM on the 29th of January 2020, from 9:30 to 11 p.m. Liam O'Mahony and Jim McNamara. Join Pat O'Donovan and Tom Ryan for the discussion this week. County Views is sponsored by Tynan O'Donovan Solicitors, Limerick and Newcastle West.